Hey, good morning. My name's Tim. I get to be the pastor here at Cornerstone. So glad to be with you again. I want to thank God for Sue Gutog. She stood here and preached God's Word faithfully and well last weekend while I was away. So thank you, Sue. And as I watched the service online, your preaching was so powerful, I suppose, that you almost brought things crashing down. I mean, (laughs) things began to fall, and so that's pretty... I've never had that happen. I hope it doesn't happen today. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, I know, watch the service from last week. I also want to thank Sue and her team for uh, all the work they did with Mission Possible. We just saw that video powerfully uh, portrayed what God is doing in our midst and through us, and we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in real ways, not just inside the building, not just in Westchester or maybe our neighborhood, but in neighborhoods across our city and across the world. So we thank God for what He privileges us to do to be servants of His in this world so that people might know Him, know His love, and be provided for. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're going to pray for a moment. I want to share a few things to pray for. The first thing is this. If you would like to be prayed for, specifically about something after service today, there is a prayer room right over here, and there'll be someone there that will, would love to meet you and pray with you about anything on your heart today, right after service. Number two, <clears throat> as some of us know, Pastor Aaron Brown, <clears throat> Aaron Brown and Linda, who was, Aaron was our pastor for four years here, they, he retired recently, and their one grandson, Isaac, was diagnosed with leukemia. And we've been praying for Isaac and his family And they posted on Facebook this week, I don't know if you saw this update, but here's the update, that they had a a bone marrow biopsy result back, and here's what it says. We just got the call with the results of the first round bone biopsy, and there were no leukemia cells detected. This is the most favorable result and makes the odds of successful treatment without a bone marrow transplant or later relapse much better. Thank God for that. Amen. Amen. And the third thing I want to share really briefly is this. Uh, You never know in life how our lives intersect and what God might do uh, later on down the road. So my family and I served a church in Butler, Pennsylvania over six years ago. We were there for four years, thought we'd be there longer, we weren't. And I met a a couple named Kurt and Pam. And Kurt texted me about three weeks ago. And he knew I'd moved to West, to Ohio, but he wasn't exactly certain where I was at. Well, I said, I'm in a suburb of Cincinnati. And he said, well, I'm so glad to hear that. He has a family member who's a child, and his name's Seth. And their family is at the children's hospital. They've been there almost three weeks now. They'll be there the rest of the month. Seth has, I'm going to probably mispronounce this, metal, metabastoma. He's needing chemo treatments, and they are wreaking havoc on him right now. Really difficult to watch. And he's a young kid. I think he's 11 years old. And Scott, the dad, and I've been texting back and forth. Lord willing, I'll, I'll go visit Scott and his family this Thursday morning. Uh, I don't know them, haven't met them, but I know the family from six years ago in a way. So as we pray for Isaac, his continued healing, would you join me in praying for Seth this morning? Let's pray together. And so God, we, we give you thanks today. We praise you for your good and your love endures forever throughout all times and ages. And so God, today, first, 
we thank you. We thank you for your love that will not let us go. We thank you for your grace that even can forgive the most greatest sinner. We thank you for your peace that you offer us that will not be determined by circumstances. We pray for your peace to be known. God, we thank you for your joy, the joy that we have in you by knowing our creator, the one who's redeemed us, and this one who's given us the promise of eternal life. God, we thank you for every ordinary blessing in our life today. And so even now, God, in a way, we open up our hands to you and we recognize all that you've given us, all that you provided for us, ever before, even before we asked it. God, we do thank you for healing reports for Isaac, for that report about that bone marrow uh, results. God, thank you. Thank you for no detection of leukemia. God, we give you thanks. You are the healer in Jesus' name. We thank you for how you use medical technology to do that. All healing comes from you. And God, we ask that that healing would take complete root in Isaac, and God, you would deliver him and his family. And we even pray that now for Seth, who's in the children's hospital now. We pray, God, for your, you to be with him and his family. God, where they feel unsettled, God, would you show up that they might know that they're not alone. Where they feel that they, uh, everything is against them even now, God, when they're backed against the wall, pray, God, you would just come to them and assure them that you're with them and you will not let them go. You will not forsake them. And God, even now, we ask for healing, real healing in Jesus' name for Seth, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. We pray that for his family as they have to watch uh, chemo treatment take such a hit on him. God, we ask for healing in your mercy. We even now are mindful of things in our own hearts and our own lives that are hard, where we grieve, where we worry, where we're afraid, where we hurt. God, we just lift it all up to you now, casting ourselves upon you that your peace might be known in our lives and that you might be glorified in us and among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been on a road trip uh, through the book of Acts since July 2nd, I believe. My family and I took a road trip just recently down to Florida to see Melissa's family. Thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, Road trips are really great, uh, and sometimes it's really great even to come back home, right? No? But the rides are terrible. We, we drove one day, 13 and a half hours back home to Westchester. Uh, but we made it, you know, we really did. Uh, but what I was thinking about on, my, on that road trip is that sometimes there's somebody that has to go first. Somebody has to go first. Uh, if you really want to go on a road trip, you've got to go first. No, no one's going to do it for you sometimes. On a road trip, if you're going to do something fun, like bungee jump off of a cliff, you got to go first. Like, no one's going to talk you into that eventually, right? Or if you're going to jump into a pool, a hotel pool that's not heated, why aren't hotel pools heated everywhere? you got to jump in first. got to go first, or no one's going to do it sometimes. Or if you go to an ocean, sometimes there has to be somebody that goes first. Somebody has to run towards those waves or walk briskly towards those waves and go first. And if you don't go first... Well, you might miss out on a lot of things. I was thinking about this one morning. uh, I thought to myself, you know, someone has to go first and it's going to be me. I'm going to do it. So I got up and I went and brushed my teeth. Um, But you you just got to go first sometimes. And if you don't go first, you might end up like that 
classic meme that's been shared on social media for years of that older couple who maybe waited their entire life to finally go on a road trip, to finally go first, see if it works. Can you, can you click it? And they end up like that. On maybe the trip of their lifetime, they finally did it. I mean, listen, if that's your Uncle Jim and Aunt Phyllis, I'm not making fun of them. But boy, maybe they waited a little too long to finally go first. I don't know. I don't know the circumstances, you know? I'm sure it was important reasons why they didn't go. But we might find ourselves asleep on a road trip. I'm going to try one more time on the clicker. Ah, did I do that or did you do that? I did that? Ah, that's so good. Okay, good. Why this is important is because in the book of Acts, we are told that uh, we were meant to be disciples of Jesus, witnesses of Jesus uh, in Jerusalem, Samaria, all Judea, and, and to the ends of the earth. And from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that's the verse, to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there is approximately nine years, nine years for the early bands of disciples of Jesus to leave their hometown of Jerusalem and to begin to reach out into the world around them. Almost nine years it takes them. Now, I don't know why. Probably really important reasons. I mean, they were growing rapidly in Jerusalem. There were many house churches in Jerusalem at the time. They had a lot to manage, a lot to disciple. A lot of preaching had to happen. A lot of care had to happen. There was worshiping happening. There was uh, bands of disciples meeting in homes all over Jerusalem, most likely. And maybe they just didn't get there yet. They just didn't have enough time. Or maybe they weren't quite ready to step out of their comfort zone and go first on the road trip. But whatever the reason, it took them almost nine years to do it. And the reason they did it, the reason they began on the road trip out of Jerusalem was because they were persecuted by those around them. And then they were pushed out, scattered from Jerusalem. And then finally they go first. Here's Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Can, can you say it with me? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Acts chapter 8 verse 1 with me. Can you say it with me? On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and they finally go first. But it's Interesting, for a moment, pause with me for a moment. It is not the original disciples of Jesus, the, the original 11, that actually leave Jerusalem to proclaim who Jesus is to a desperate, hungry, dying, sin-sick world. It is others who, who go out and go first on the road trip. And we'll read about one named Philip who goes first. He goes to Samaria and because he goes to Samaria and proclaims Christ to those around them, some of the disciples, the original apostles, James and Peter, follow him there, and they disciple some of them there, and they go back to Jerusalem. But Philip keeps going, and the reason he keeps going is because, well, we'll read it here in a moment in verse 26. There is a revival breaking out in a way, in Samaria. People are coming to faith in Christ. People are being saved for the first time. They're coming to know what it means to be forgiven of their sins, to have the hope of eternal life. And then Philip doesn't stay there, though. 
And how easy would it have been for him to set up shop there? Let's buy some ground. Let's build a building. Let's stay right here. I mean, God is at work, and God was at work, and he was using a man named Philip to do it. And yet, here's what happens in verse 26, and I'll read it for you. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet from the Old Testament. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, which is most likely where he lived. Why would we go first? Well, Jesus commands us to go first. He says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that he will make us the kind of people that we become witnesses of him, witnesses of his resurrection to the world around us. He says he'll do this. This is a command. That's maybe simply put there, but really the second reason is this. It is for joy that we would go first. Joy. And that is the driving impulse, the driving force in our lives is joy, surprising joy that we have come to know the Creator and not only come to know the Creator, but he, we have come to know what it means that He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us of our sins, not because we've earned it or deserved it, because what He has accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He offers us forgiveness and grace upon grace, and we stand before God, forgiven, redeemed, cleansed, set apart for Him. And now, now, not only do we have forgiveness, but we have the hope of eternal life. That not only in Christ Jesus, his God secured us forgiveness of our sins, 
that because he's been raised from the dead, we too have a destiny that is secure, a future that is unalterable, an inheritance kept in heaven, as Peter would say later on, that is indestructible and will not wear, will not tear, and that inheritance is eternal life. What happened to Jesus, raised from the dead three days later, will happen to us one day too. And on that day, everything will be made right, everything beautiful, everything good, and we will see God face to face, and we will become who we're meant to be as we see Him and behold Him and know Him, and He wipes away every tear from our lives. It is for joy that we would go first. It is not out of compulsion. It is not because we feel guilty about it or ashamed or because the pastor said it again. Okay, somebody's got to go first. But I'll just say, at some point, somebody has to go first. And for the early church, it took persecution. It was not easy for them to be Christian. Even then, and they were at times misunderstood. They were called names that were not true about them and things were said about them that were wrong and they were even at times threatened and made to feel uncomfortable. And it was that that God used for his purposes to send the church out. And if others would have stayed in Jerusalem, if they would have dug holes and got up a bunch of supplies and made bunkers and stayed on Twitter and watched news until the end comes, maybe, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here and we wouldn't know the power of Jesus in our lives. And yet some would go and one was Philip. And he went for joy. Not only joy that he came to know himself, but he longed for others to come to joy. Not happiness, that is always based on circumstances and always based on these changing standards and sets of expectations. But joy it says that this, when the Ethiopian eunuch comes to know who Christ is and is baptized, he's raised out of the water, and what does it say he does? He leaves the water with his knuckles dragging the ground with his head down and he's kind of weary and he's sad and he's kind of upset and he's complaining and nothing's goodness. No, no, right? It says he leaves rejoicing. He has come to know joy himself. And so for us, as Christians, as Cornerstone Church, we long for people to come to know an unshakable foundation, the cornerstone of all cornerstones, Jesus Christ. And it's for joy that he would call us to go first. What does it look like to go first? In this passage, in Acts chapter 8, there's some moments where Philip is maybe preaching to crowds, but only here in this moment and all of the chapters and acts do we have this moment where there's a relationship where in that relationship Christ is offered to someone. There is great preaching happening in Acts. There's great teaching. There are stands off with crowds in Jerusalem and Samaria and, and Athens and other parts of the world, but only here do we glimpse what it looks like to go first, to be someone who becomes a witness of Jesus to someone else through a one-to-one -one personal relationship. 
And my friends, I don't know about you, but that's way less intimidating than thinking I have to become like a Billy Graham and fill stadiums or on my recent road trip, be someone who stood in a busy town square yelling at people to repent of their sins and come to know Christ. And let me just tell you that maybe God could use that, but I'm just saying there was like a huge like danger zone that appeared around that preacher. No one wanted to hear it. No one wanted to listen. But here is Philip entering into a personal relationship with someone who is seeking, someone who's spiritually curious, someone who Jesus would call a person of peace. What does that look like? You can go to the next slide. So here, here are things that we pick up in the story. Number one, Philip depends upon the Holy Spirit. Twice it says that Philip is led by the Spirit, prompted by the Spirit. He leaves a revival. He relieves a good thing, and he goes on a desert road because the Spirit prompts him to go. Philip probably doesn't know why yet. He doesn't have a grand plan in place. He hasn't done any demographic studies. He's just been nudged by the Spirit to go. And so for Philip, he's depending upon the Spirit to guide him, not his skills, not his competencies, not his Bible knowledge, not his resume, but the Spirit. And the Spirit leads Philip. In our lives, we might have moments when the Spirit speaks crystal clear to us of how we're to go and where we're to go and what we're not to do. As though a long time friend is talking to us. But there are other times in our lives when the Spirit nudges us. It's a feeling, it's an idea, it's a prompting, it's a nudge. And at that moment, we have a choice to lean into the Holy Spirit and trust Him and go, or to lean back and wait for somebody else to go. Philip depends upon the Holy Spirit. The second thing he does, Philip sees people. He doesn't see a project to be accomplished or a problem to be fixed. He sees people. He sees a man who is described as an Ethiopian eunuch, someone from the continent of Africa, who a eunuch who is someone who at the time would have been castrated for the purposes of serving the queen or a king, a, castr a castrated man, would be pretty safe around a queen or royalty's family. And there he is, but he doesn't see a problem. He doesn't see those as hurdles. He doesn't see, well, that person's different than me, or that person doesn't probably believe like I believe, or, you know, he probably has all these problems. I don't think I want to deal with that. That's too messy. No, Philip sees a person, not a project to be accomplished or a problem to be fixed. There has been time in my life where I've had people knock on my front door and they're trying their very best to share Christ with me. And they knock on the door and I open my door and they have a pamphlet and they want to tell me about who Jesus Christ is. And I can see it in their eyes. They don't see me. They're not even listening. I mean, they're there to accomplish a project and probably fix a problem. And even when I tell them, listen, I love your heart in this, and I'm so glad you're trying to share with others who Christ is, who, who don't know him yet. But I, listen, I'm, I'm a Christian pastor. This is what I do 
for a living and I'm so glad you're trying. Okay, yeah, but thank you, but could, could you please let me finish what I was trying to say to you? And they just press on, right? Have you ever had that done before? I, anyway, and it gets real weird. I, I won't, I'll tell you a weird story another time. I don't have time. But it gets weird. This, that person didn't see me at all. He just saw me as a project or a problem. Philip sees a person and he moves towards the Ethiopian eunuch. Why? Because he's depending upon the Holy Spirit. And the third thing he does is he listens. He listens in more than one direction. This is critical. We're not trying to sell somebody anything. If we would go first and share the difference Jesus Christ can make in their life because he's made a difference in our life, man, we need to listen more than we talk. That might be easy for me to say or weird because I get paid to talk, but li Philip listens and he listens in more than one direction. How does he do that? Well, he does that by asking a question. He says, to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And right then and there, Philip is in listening mode. He's listening to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's listening to what is going on in that person's life. And he's also listening in a different direction too, not just to the person in front of him. He's listening to the Holy Spirit, what God might be saying, what God might be doing in that person's life. And in this instance in Scripture, it is obvious what God is doing in the Ethiopian eunuch's life. He is a seeker of God. He's spiritually curious. He's, tra he's traveling from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. He's reading the Scriptures, trying to make sense of who God is. It is obvious, and so for us sometimes with others, it is not obvious at all. But one thing we can gauge at when we're listening to someone is are they spiritually curious? And he's listening to the Ethiopian eunuch and he's listening to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the Ethiopian eunuch's life. He's listening so much that he actually allows the Ethiopian eunuch to ask a question. And so this is really important for us in our relationships of people who don't know Christ yet or those who have drifted away. Man, we need to listen in one direction towards them. We need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, His nudges in our lives. And also, we need to let people ask questions, questions that matter to them. And for Philip, he lets the Ethiopian eunuch ask a question that matters to him. And he says... I don't know or understand what I'm reading. I don't know if this is about the person who wrote it, the prophet, or someone else. How can I know unless someone explains it to me? And right then, Philip doesn't just aim, 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 aim. He goes for it. He sees the open lane and he takes it. And he shares with them, and he explains the Ethiopian eunuch, starting with that passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53, the good news of Jesus Christ. God was at work in the Ethiopian eunuch's life, and he longed for Philip to join him on that road trip so that Ethiopian eunuch would come to know who Jesus Christ is as the Savior of the world. 
and the one who not only took upon that Ethiopian eunuch's pain, but also that Ethiopian eunuch's sin, so that that Ethiopian eunuch would become a child of God and live with hope of eternal life as that Ethiopian trusted in Christ was baptized. So for us, we need to listen. We need to learn how to listen and let people ask important questions. And it's okay if we don't have all the answers. That's maybe a fear of our own. If I would even engage somebody that way, what if they ask me a question I don't know? And you know what you could do? And what I can do, what I do sometimes? I just say, I don't know. I don't know why that happened to you. I don't have a good answer for that. I'm not sure what that means, and I'm not sure if I understand what the, script, what the Bible would say about that, but let me learn about it with you. Or, you know what? I just don't, I simply don't know, but here's what I do know, and I would share with them the difference Christ has made in my life. Now, some people are not reading, actually a lot of people aren't reading the scriptures probably today, like the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, that's a, that's a stumbling block. But what I found in my own life, if I just humble myself and listen to someone and ask them a simple question, like, hey, could you just say more about that? Or, you know, what you just said sounds important. Could you share with me why that's so important to you? Or I'm wondering, as you share that, what desire do you most long to be fulfilled? Or, oh, as you share that painful thing, I'm wondering what desire right there is being killed or not being fulfilled. And you'd be surprised what people will tell you about their lives. And you'd be surprised how God is at work in their lives, wooing them, prompting them, preparing them to know Christ. He listens in, one, in more than one direction. He listens to the Ethiopian eunuch, he listens to the Holy Spirit, and he does it by asking questions. Now, real quick, don't be an interrogator, right? Be someone who loves people because you see them. Be curious about them. And so number four, share your life. The Spirit says to Ethiopian, to Philip, run up the chariot and stand near there. And then the Ethiopian eunuch, on his terms, invites Philip into his life. He says, Philip, come up and join me. Sit in the chariot with me. And so for us, we never go first to share Christ with someone out of this warped sense of superiority or that we have got to get it done or we have all the answers or whatever like that. We, you know, we go as servants so that we might share our life with others. We do that vulnerably. We do that authentically. We do it humbly to serve them. And in our own life, we've encountered people who have served us and we have encountered people who have been in it for something else, and we know the difference. So number four, we share our lives, and five, we speak Jesus Christ when the time comes. For Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it came when they talked about the scriptures, and that's a great place to go eventually. And so you go to the next slide. Here's that part of that passage. And so in verse four and five, it says, as surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crossed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Ethiopian eunuch came to know that day that there was one who had loved him ever before he ever sought God. There was one who had come before him who'd already taken up his pain, who was already crushed, who was already carrying his pain and his suffering to the cross, one who'd already made payment for his sins, the debt of his life, the guilt he was feeling, the shame he was carrying. And he came to know that person in the name, with the name of Jesus Christ. And on that day, the Ethiopian eunuch exchanged his pain for the hope of the resurrection. He exchanged his guilt and his sin and his shame and his fear and his rejection for God's forgiveness and God's grace offered to him so freely and generously in Jesus Christ. And on that day, he was baptized. And he was filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, uh, recently I was talking to someone that actually, that conversation expanded over two years. So we might meet someone like the Ethiopian eunuch and who's just primed and ready to know Christ and it's not like anything we've done. We just show up and God just does it almost. But sometimes it takes years. Sometimes we never see it to the end. We never see that person come to know Christ. And that conversation with that person over two years and we talked about all kinds of things and it was almost to the point where that person, and I thought that person was, was gonna surrender his life to Christ. Sure of it. And that last conversation we had, he told me he was moving to Colorado. And I don't know where he's at, but he was so close. He was like one step away from the waters of baptism. And so I have to just trust that God is doing good things in his life. His name's Eric. And that there just might be a Philip waiting for him in Colorado. I'm wondering in our own lives, in our own lives, man, what would it mean, what would it look like for us to become a Philip for somebody else? There is no greater joy and privilege than to become a Philip for somebody else. You know, to share Christ with others is really just one hungry person, one hungry person telling another hungry person where the bread is, one beggar telling another beggar where their meal comes from. And so we celebrate communion to be reminded of that, that at the end of the day, all of us, all of us are not worthy, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us are hungry people scratching and searching for our meal that will finally, finally satisfy us. And we turn to Jesus Christ, just like Peter, just like others, who said, where can we go? We can't go anywhere else except to you because you have the words to eternal life. And so as we celebrate communion today, you are invited to his table 
You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. You don't have to be baptized to receive communion. All that is necessary is to acknowledge our hunger, that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of God's glory, that we have tried very hard to make our life work apart for our, on our own, apart from God. And there is a table set before us, prepared for us, through whom we have eternal life, Jesus Christ, his body, his blood shed for us. And as we receive communion today, we just receive him. Maybe that's the, your first time. Maybe it's your first time coming to him and putting your trust in him today. That can be this moment for you, just like the Ethiopian eunuch. And maybe for some of us, man, we're, we know him, but we are so spiritually hungry. We are broken, we are fed up. We are lost in a way. It's our opportunity now to come to him and receive his spiritual food. And the third thing I'd say is this. If we've come to know Christ in our life and we come and we receive communion today, there is somebody in your life who just needs you to become a hungry beggar just like them and point to them where their meal comes from, where their food can be received. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pause me for a moment? And so God, we just pause and we confess now, we acknowledge that we have not loved you. And maybe we've tried and we have failed. We can't do it without you. We can't love you without you empowering us to do so. We can't love you until we know your love in Jesus Christ. We have not loved our neighbors. We have lived for ourselves. We have tried to make our lives work apart from you. And so we confess all of that to you with this wonderful assurance, my friends, that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven and I am too. Thanks be to God. Would you pause me for a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Maybe there's something that you need, we need to confess today that we need to turn over to him. Maybe we just need to tell him that we love him because he's loved us. And we long to be filled with his love and his grace and his truth. And so now, Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us, gathered here and upon those who would gather through the internet, through the live stream, and get, fall fresh upon these, uh, these gifts of bread and wine, that they'd become for us the body and blood of Christ. That as we partake of this meal, we would be united to Christ, united to each other, and sent out into the world to be the body of Christ until he comes again and we feast with joy at his eternal banquet. All in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen.